Hello, and welcome to another edition of Brussels Sprouts. I'm Andrea Kendall-Taylor. And I'm Jim Townsend. And we're so glad you can join us. Since Russia launched its attack on Ukraine in late February, European political and security dynamics have changed in profound ways. For Finland and Sweden, the invasion has ignited a new round of debate around the question of NATO membership, causing both countries to re-examine their long-standing policy of remaining outside the transatlantic military alliance. Over the past couple of months, there has been a significant shift in public opinion, with some recent polls even suggesting that majorities of both Swedes and Finns would support NATO membership. Despite this movement, however, no political decision has yet been made in either country, and obstacles may remain in the way of membership, including the need to gain approval from existing members of the alliance and the strong desire for Finland and Sweden to coordinate their approach. Nevertheless, it appears that a seismic shift in foreign and security policy could be on the horizon for both countries. And to discuss this, we're really pleased to welcome Anna Weislander and Mika Altola to the podcast today to discuss what we might expect moving forward. Welcome to both of you. Thank Thank you you so much. Um, Quick bios. Um, Anna serves as director for Northern Europe Europe at the Atlantic Council. Uh, She also chairs the Institute for Security and Development Policy in Stockholm and serves as Secretary General of the Swedish Defense Association. And Mika is the director of the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. He is also a tenured professor of international relations and European Union Affairs at Tallinn University in Estonia and holds the rank of docent at Tampere University. All right, where to start? Anna, maybe we can start with you and maybe I'll ask both of you essentially the same question, which is if you just give us the lay down and describe a little bit the trajectory of the debate inside both Sweden and Finland on this issue of NATO membership. Well, thank you, Andrea. And um, well, I think I would start basically saying that I think the dynamics have a bit surprised us as what we thought would be the dynamics for a potential, you know, path towards NATO membership for Sweden and Finland. I think we used to assume that perhaps Sweden being the biggest of the Nordic countries and also having more of a a pro-NATO uh, um, population, uh, according to the polls in the past years, would perhaps lead the way and you know discuss with Finland and then the Finnish leadership would shift and then the Finnish people would shift, which have been around 20% only of support for, for NATO membership for, for quite, quite, quite a long time. Even when Russia annexed Crimea, not much happened, uh, as I recall it. So but that is not at all what has happened. <laughs> uh, so this has surprised us all, I think, and in kind of an astonishing way. Uh, we have had Finland very forward-leaning. I'm sure Mika can, can elaborate on that. Uh, in assessing you know, the situation as it has evolved with first the buildup of the Russian troops, already from November, very alert. And then, of course, with the full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February, we also saw the Swedish, the Finnish public just shifting, you know, basically it felt like it was overnight. There were some few movements towards more people being pro-NATO, but up from basically from 20 to 62% in favor of, of joining NATO after uh, the full-scale invasion of, of Russia. And then we had a similar 
shift in the Swedish, uh, reaching up to 50% of the Swedish people thinking that this, this looks like a good idea now, <laughs> joining NATO. Uh, so actually, this has been a, a, a quite interesting um, dynamics, I would say. And what we have now is basically Finland moving much faster and leading the way uh, and Sweden being a bit behind uh, also with the political debate uh, and a bit doing things a little bit, bit less in transparency. That's my, my feeling. I think it's more open, more clear where Finland is heading. Sweden seems to be heading in the same direction, but a bit more vague in its direction. Mika, over to you on the Finland side. Well, I, I think that was a very accurate description of, of how uh, things are developing. Uh, they are moving very fast currently. Finland has been having this NATO debate over the past 30 years uh, already. It was mostly based on kind of identity politics of it. Uh, now it is pragmatic and Finns tend to be very pragmatic when uh, Russia is on aggressive, uh, doing aggressive moves and, and the war. 24th of February changed everything overnight in, in Helsinki. So it became a pragmatic issue. And then it became a process of actually exploring the possibilities. So, you know, nobody can get into NATO, even, the, even if the door is wide open, if, if you don't signal and campaign for it. So, so Finland has been asking from in different capitals, uh, what, what is they? feeling uh, is it the right time to join NATO right now and, and, and I think majority of, of, of countries if not all have been responding very positively uh, on on this possibility uh, of, of Finland uh, joining so when you are a small country you have to be at silent and you have to seize the moment and uh, the moment came uh, rather suddenly and, and uh, it was a surprise for for many that that the opportunity is here uh, and the Finnish population reacted very uh, strongly as you said seismic uh, shift in the Finnish population if you translate that into referendum uh, if, if you take away those people who cannot say or will not say uh, uh, yes or no it would be around 75 percent of Finns who would be saying yes to the NATO membership and that's that's huge number um, uh, so the Russians managed to uh, do this, and and uh, I have to say that of course in Finland there has always been uh, skepticism towards Russia, and and, uh, and and they proved that those skeptics were right. Uh, so so Finns are now now on the move, and I suspect that 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 Swedes are as well. Um, um, I don't know about the transparency of the process because it's so fast that it's difficult to follow. But when I talk with the Finnish parliamentarians and I have been talking with them quite a lot, uh, it's clear that the parliament is also reflecting the general feeling of, of people. Um, for many of them, of course, it is a question of mandate. They were chosen to be in the parliament. Uh, and then back then, when they were chosen, uh, they said no to the NATO question. So it is, of course, difficult for many to, to change their opinion. And, and uh, so NATO now seems to be the plan A. Uh, there's also the plan B uh, that, that has to do with the Swedish-Finnish, some kind of a defense alliance. Uh, 
but uh, but it is difficult to envision that because you know it, it doesn't exist yet. Uh, whereas NATO, of course, uh, exists and uh, there's a long track record on NATO. But also, the lessons learned from Ukraine, uh, you know, military security of supply, uh, a vital part of that. So Finns are very Spartan and stoic when it comes to national defense, and and they have understood that national defense might be hard. If you don't have uh, uh, tools to 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 uh, uh, fight your wars, uh, defensive actions cannot be maintained very long time if there's no security of supply. So NATO becomes kind of a logical conclusion for many of the Finns, uh, a pragmatic uh, solution. Um, so um, I, I, you know the Swedes have a long tradition of, of different types of neutrality over the past 200 years, so, so it's a little bit different, uh, the discussion in Sweden. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know, the near European Union membership was decided first. The referendum was arranged in Finland first, because the Finns were likely to say yes, and the Swedes followed. Uh, unfortunately, the Norwegians didn't. Um, so, so I don't know, but it might be kind of the, the right order as well in the sense that that Finns uh, having that 1,300 kilometers of border with Russia feel this uh, much more acutely uh, than, than perhaps the Swedes, although they have their own, own issues when it comes to Kaliningrad and Hotland and, and the Baltic Sea. Um, if I could uh, jump in real quick, and uh, Andrea, thanks for letting me ask the first question. I know this is this chair is reserved for you, but, uh, but I just couldn't, re- couldn't constrain myself it's about the plan B, Miko, that you were just talking about, uh, you know, possible Swedish uh, Finnish uh, relationship or triangular U.S. Finnish uh, Swedish or, or this all the various plan B's that are out there. And the reason I raised that is kind of a personal thing. You know, I've worked with particularly with Sweden and Finland uh, closely since 1990. That's years and years and years and years. And, and, over the, and since Crimea, particularly. I've worked uh, when I was in the Pentagon, I was trying to draw very close the three of us so that if we had to fight the, uh, the Russians in the Baltics, that, that we had enough interoperability and an understanding of one another so that we could work together because we'd be fighting in Finnish Swedish airspace and that type of thing. It would, be a, it would be quite a regional conflict. My fear all along was that I, I didn't want to mislead, particularly Sweden, into thinking that um, a relationship with the United States that was that close or that trilateral relationship that I started would be so close that it would take the place of joining NATO. I, I didn't want to, and I was, I just, I, I tried when I talked to Swedish officials, particularly to make sure they understood that, that there wasn't an article five with this. And, and, uh, and if we did fight together, there was no way we could guarantee your security that that wasn't going to happen. I think they understood that, but now my fear is that as some of those, some folks in Finland or Sweden who are thinking that, that there's got to be a plan B, that they're going to fall back on those, that relationship that we kind of built and say, well, that's all we need. We don't need NATO. And I think that would be a horrible, horrible mistake. And I would feel personally responsible. I should never have allowed us to come that close. And so I don't know, uh, Anna, I, I don't know if, 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 do you think, or in Helsinki, Miko, do you think that there really is people talking about such a plan B, or do they realize that all the important things that we built, that close relationship, that that, and that was perfect for the time, but now we need to move on to something higher. 
so how credible is this plan B? And should I go, you know, be embarrassed <laughs> that I created this monster? If I, if I can start there, just uh, connect to that. I think that's a, a really excellent point, Jim. And I think there is a difference actually now at least uh, from the outside, uh, if you don't have, if you know, sit in the processes between Helsinki and Sweden, and that is that it's not clear from the Swedish government that joining NATO is actually Plan A. Uh, they are, uh, as they say, exploring a range of options, and 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 you know, and I think you have a, a very valid point there. You need to understand then what's the difference between NATO and alternative in Finland, if it's called a plan B, that's like second best or, you know, the le little less sufficient. Uh, and I think that's, that's absolutely a, a very important point. Um, I also think, you know, other, uh, there are other options floating around like uh, the UK led joint expeditionary force that that could be some kind of substitute or that the EU defense dimension would, and it's article 42.7 in the Lisbon Treaty, that that would kind of provides, you know, some kind of equivalent security. Um, Mika mentioned the idea of a Swedish-Finnish defense alliance. And I think it's, it's quite important at this stage because I think you Mika said it very well, we have to seize the moment, small states for them, you know, you cannot choose like, you, there are opportunities that suddenly appear in history and you have to be on the right side of history at, at those points. So this is really important to have a direction here and to know what you are assessing. Uh, and I have a little bit of uh, concern there in Sweden. It seems to be more a more uh, focused uh, debate at this point in, in Finland. Yes, and if I can add to that, it's, it's a question of what we in Finland call it a process and of course it's difficult to have a process if, it, if you don't have a vision for for different options so so NATO clearly is a vision uh, whereas this other the plan B uh, is, is a little bit less defined but uh, but you know there's the process in Helsinki there's a process in Stockholm there's a process uh, a process in Brussels in Washington and London in Berlin so it, it is a campaign at the end and the question then becomes, uh, you know, what type of a campaign is it a successful one? And then the plan Bs uh, start to emerge. So, so there's always the kind of the gray zone dangers and the halfway houses. And, and then you need to have kind of a solid, if things fail, uh, so you need to have a solid grounding, kind of the fortification of the, the Nordics uh, uh, type of an option. Uh, it can involve minilateral solutions, uh, but but uh, I, I think the vision is a little bit missing uh, there. So what would that look like? Uh, minilateralism seems to be uh, a little bit fashionable nowadays, if you look into the Australia, Australia UK and, and, and US minilateral, uh, trilateral defense uh, cooperation. Uh, can something like that be the halfway house solid enough, uh, solid grounding, kind of a fortified grounding uh, when, when Russia is going to be and uh, is going to remain in a, in, a, in, a, in a very kind of a downward spiraling weak uh, moment. And uh, weak Russia is of course very unpredictable. So, so one needs to be prepared for, 
for that. And, and, and NATO seems to be there. It's a vision, but, uh, you know, one is to signal, one is to campaign, one is to, to prepare the groundwork for that. And, and, and uh, uh, the Finns, I, I think that they are signaling uh, right now something. Um, but uh, of course, the signaling would be much more effective if the Swedes would be part of it. Um, uh, so, so it's it's ultimately a question of of moving in synchrony, uh, as we did with the European Union membership. Um, it was important part uh, part of the package that that Sweden was included. Uh, and of course, it is a curiosity that kind of the remnants of the Swedish uh, Empire. Uh, are still wondering. Uh, we have a similar type of, of uh, strategic culture, but there are differences. Uh, uh, the differences between Finland and, and Sweden, and as I said, there's a geographical dimension as well uh, uh, related to uh, our vulnerability in, in Finland when it comes to uh, 1,300 kilometers from Kola Peninsula to, to shallow regions of Gulf of Finland. So it is felt very, very acutely here. Uh, but it is also, you know, Northern Norway, uh, NATO uh, border there. And then you have Estonia, NATO member. So, you know, a piece of, of the puzzle seems to be missing from the NATO strategic planning. And it's clear to understand that uh, our vulnerability is also an asset. Um, whereas perhaps in the Swedish case, uh, there are additional characteristics and complications to the to the puzzle. Um, I, I don't know, uh, Anna. What, what do you think about kind of the what, what is the groundwork for the uh, Swedish debate? Is it still an identity question, kind of a neutrality or different forms of that, and then then this uh, alliance type of of of, of uh, leaning. Yes, I think, I mean, there are two things that I think are really interesting with this. One is that, that I mean, people, both in Sweden and Finland, if you look at the polls, so if you if you poll that, okay, uh, there is a majority now in each country that wants to join NATO. And if you add, should Sweden and Finland join together, then it's like massive. It's like 77% and, you know, in Sweden as well, way, way, way. So Sweden and Finland moving together, that makes sense for ordinary people. You know, that is like, we, we are close, we should move together. That, you know, I, I feel more secure if we move together. That's what people are saying. And, and, and that history is really interesting. And that, I think that the debate is not so much, it seems to me for, for the ordinary Swede, this was more like, you know, holy cow, a, a big neighbor with nuclear weapons is fully invading another sovereign country, which is not member of NATO. This looks super bad. Uh, small country, we should be with, with other guys, you know, and uh, let's let's join. Uh, and even better if, if Finland, our closest neighbor, joins together with us. And then that's like the end of the discussion, basically. Or, you know, then they make a, a conclusion, they draw a conclusion out of that. So the debate is more uh, among the political party, especially among the social democratic party in Sweden, that's the key. And that might sound really weird, but then you have to know that they have social Democrats, they have dominated the political life in Sweden and been governing Sweden for many, many, many years. Used to be a 50% plus party, you know, so 
completely dominating. And Swedish neutrality was never treaty bound. It always had to do with politically navigating in a landscape, you know, so you had to have that, that crafting of making the right decisions and negotiating a little bit, giving up a little bit, being a bit coward, never give Finns the security guarantees they wanted, but support them a little bit anyway. And, you know, that, that has been the Swedish way. And I think that has brought uh, two, the two fractions, it's a left-wing fraction and a right-wing fraction within this big party which is now also uh, the government party, minority government of Sweden. And, uh, and you have this, especially in the left wing, uh, a little bit of, of, of uh, you know, romantic feelings against uh, on neutrality or being in between, having a mediating kind of peace, uh, peacekeeping role, um, even though we are members of the EU and, and everyone realizes that you know, our, our foreign policy is basically framed by that, but still also adding on then anti-nuclear, uh, anti, a bit of anti-American kind of, you know, American leadership is not necessarily that positive. Um, and there are also some Turkish uh, resentments because there's a big Kurdish uh, uh, group here that a lot of them are active within the social democrats so they're also a lot, you know you could also have that argument that you know turkey with its political uh, system and you know should we be part of that what, what what's that about so so this is basically a, a discussion within one the big political party here and i think what we see now is i would assume that a lot while it's not that transparent the discussion here is that a lot of the other parties have made up their mind and, and this is an ongoing party discussion. It's not that much of a security policy assessment, really. Uh, it's, it's a little bit about other things and uh, not having a, a fragmented social democratic party ahead of our national elections, which are in September uh, now, 2022, you know, so, so this is really uh, a question for the social democratic leadership to handle. Yeah, this is real. That's so interesting on on both sides. Uh, can I ask you have Have you seen any Russian responses? Um, you know, you, you both have talked about that this. You know, it's time to seize the moment. And is the calculation then that Russia is so distracted and and bogged down and tied down with what's happening in Ukraine that that this is the time to limit the potential that Russia would take any actions. Um, to to stop or halt the move towards NATO. I mean, so I guess maybe talk talk a little bit about whether or not you see Russia reacting in any significant way, and whether this sense of opportunism really is about Russia being distracted. Well, there is a sense that Russia is distracted, and it's weaker than we thought. It is. It is uh, by no means uh, close enough to to the status that they are uh, trying to put out uh, during the Victory Day parades, also what the defense forces of, of Russia in the war of aggression against Ukraine, uh, they are not coping very well. So there's a sense that, that the military side of the threat, uh, uh, at least in the large scale, is, is missing. Uh, politically, they are cornered. So the political retaliation uh, is not there. Uh, economically, of course, the sanctions have already kind of preempted any 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 significant Russian effect on, on, on Finnish economy. There's basically an embargo situation right now when it comes to 
Russia Finnish uh, relations. So uh, Russia has preempted many of the moves that they have set for years. You know, it, it has been a red line for Russia, the Finnish uh, NATO membership, and and uh, and they repeated that in 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 their security claims before Christmas. Uh, so it's it's not surprised to us that that uh, Russia is against it. They have been threatening a military political measures, uh, but what do they have? I, I don't know. I, I think Finns are not that fearful of the Russian uh, uh, actions. And, 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 and usually if Russia does something, the Finns are very stubborn. So they tend to react uh, the opposite way to, to what, what the Russians are saying we should do. Um, so um, yes, the, there's a segment in the population that is uh, fearful of that. The nuclear issue, of course, is something that is is usually uh, talked about in this this connection. Uh, um, I, I, I don't see that as a as a kind of a uh, that type of escalation as feasible. Then the other thing that is debated in Finland is is so-called uh, hybrid uh, security scenarios, something disruptions that Russia can cause, but those are not existential. Those are manageable issues. Uh, they can, of course. Um, uh, scare some people, but but uh, I don't see that that uh, they don't they would have like long term ramifications. So uh, kind of the realization that what happens in Ukraine doesn't stay in Ukraine, uh, and and whatever consequences Ukraine will have when there's a frozen conflict or some kind of a peace agreement will have significant um, impact on 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 Finnish status. That is something that has to be. Uh, negated beforehand, so we have to be proactive uh, right now before uh, anything is decided over our heads. Um, and 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 I, I think that's the prevailing sentiment that that uh, what Russia did, they broke a promise, uh, and and those promises cannot be easily uh, then then. Uh, uh, Russia is not trustworthy in that respect. So the relationship has become dysfunctional. It cannot be managed anymore uh, through trade and, and different other uh, policy instruments other than, than uh, defense policy. And, and therefore, um, uh, Finland is kind of a, uh, right now thinking about the alliances as option uh, instead of the usual stability pol policy that Finland has been exercising over the years. Uh, so um, adding alliances and, and balancing against Russia and, 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 and participating in the containment of Russia, um, you know, wars should have consequences. Uh, and it, if it's happening in the neighborhood and it, it is happening in a country uh, that has similar status than Finland, you know, there's three Western uh, neighbors on, on Russian border that are not part of NATO, and those are Finland, Belarus, and and, and uh, Ukraine. Uh, so you can imagine that that uh, that the status question is very much there. Uh, so whether uh, Russia decides the Finnish status or Finns themselves decide it, that's the basic uh, kind of a bottom line uh, that that Finns uh, have realized, and that's the reason why there was the seismic shift in the popular opinion, um, it's, it wasn't so much kind of the political leadership, but the population itself, uh, uh, because of the memories uh, 
over the years of the Finnish history, uh, it became kind of an instinctive reaction to to what Russia did in Ukraine that that Finland has to react. I think this is a great point if I just can break in here because for Sweden it has always been about also taking consideration to to Finland in in how to you know how to provide security or contribute to security in the northern region and I think for Finland as you look it's not only about Ukraine it's also the shifts in Belarus Uh, and I think also the, the uh, so-called treaty, security guarantee treaties that Russia put on the table in December, uh, we have forgotten a little bit about them now, but I mean, it was very clear where they wanted to go uh, on deciding above the heads of, of other smaller states uh, on, on how to arrange things. And I think in that way, um, Finland has the most um, fresh experiences of, of, of doing this with the friendship treaty that you had to sign after the Second World War and 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 the space, very limited space of maneuver that you had during this uh, Finlandization uh, period. So um, I think it's important for Sweden to be also solidaric in that sense uh, towards the, the considerations that Finland is making now because you have to make a solution Uh, of the security structure for Northern Europe, which is good for the whole of, of this region, because we are also interlinked. Uh, you can't really just look at yourself in this situation. You have to look at your neighbors and how you contribute to the bigger picture also. So I think that's that's a really good point. All right, one more question from me. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you a two-part question. One, do you think that this will become reality? Do you think do you actually think that Sweden and Finland will be in NATO in the near term? And then my related question is, what message or does that send to Ukraine? And are you worried about, you know, if, you know, Finland and Sweden now decide that they want to be in NATO and they are very promptly welcomed into the alliance, um, what might that do to European NATO relations with Ukraine? Well, that's a good question. Uh, it has implications to, to to Ukraine as well, uh, but they are doing relatively well. Or actually, you know, the fight that they are putting uh, against the Russians, uh, they are doing uh, extremely well. Uh, and and uh, so Ukraine is going to survive for another day. Uh, and and the NATO question, I'm sure, is going to be considered in the future. Uh, as it was promised to the Ukrainians uh, back in 2008. Uh, so the whole European landscape is shifting uh, very rapidly currently, and, and we have to seize the moment and, 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 and Ukraine. I think uh, the question uh, is uh, relevant. Is the NATO door open? How they will manage and survive this uh, war that, that they are doing very well in? Uh, what is the future of Russia? It seems to be uh, developing into a very uh, uh, kind of a fascistic uh, system right now, dictatorial system. Uh, the frenzy, war frenzy is very high in, 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 in Russia. And that's one of the reasons why, of course, the Finns are also considering, you know, if this would be, if there would be a reset button that, that could be used. Uh, It might be tempting to many many things to use that reset button, kind of going 
to the, the February 23rd, uh, just before the war. Uh, but there's nothing that, like that available with, with this type of Russia. And so uh, Finland and, and Sweden being able to join NATO, I, I think the door is open. It's a question of will, question of campaigning. Of course, it's also part of exploring the limits of possible, like any foreign policy is. And, and uh, if if the limit of, of possible, like it seems to be, uh, allows Finland and Sweden to join, then um, then it should be uh, done and it should be uh, likely. I, I consider it to be relatively likely that, that Finland and Sweden will join NATO uh, during the next uh, year or two. Uh, but what are the implications to, to, to Ukraine? I, I think those implications are positive. You know, clearly negative uh, consequences for Russia uh, when it comes to what they are doing uh, to Ukraine. Uh, so there is consequences and, and, and a kind of a tightening of the democratic alliance. Uh, it would also uh, significantly solidify the 42.7 when there's new NATO members uh, inside the European Union. Uh, perhaps it gives some kind of a membership route to European Union for Ukraine. So gradually, I think it would facilitate uh, Ukrainian position as well. But of course, you know, uh, they might be complaining about it. Uh, but uh, but there is light at the end of the tunnel for Ukraine as well if if, if things start to move and and the most. Uh, uh, the worst case scenario is that 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 we do not nothing, uh, and 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 this uh, Finland and Sweden applying for NATO membership is doing something. Uh, so those actions need to be taken that are within the limits of possible. Anna, yeah, I think uh, I think it's likely that Sweden and and Finland. Um, I think it's more likely that we will join than it's. Uh, you know, and and then the likeliness that we will remain outside of NATO, given that I see that the European security structure as we knew it is is not there anymore. We are entering into something completely new, and I think this would be Sweden and Finland and NATO. I think that will be part of of the new structure or new order or whatever will emerge. Uh, I think for Ukraine, I mean, I've been following closely Sweden and Finland as partners to NATO. I've done a lot of research on that been in a lot of discussions. And I think Ukraine has known for, for quite some time that Sweden and Finland are closest partners to NATO. We have a special status that, uh, that in, in closeness, so to say, uh, that Ukraine has not had. And I think that's, uh, they, they, I don't think they would be that surprised if this would be the path that we will take. We are so interoperable. We are plugged into various co uh, collective defense measures. It's no secret. So, so in that sense, I think, and looking at it from a Ukraine point of view, fighting now for the sovereignty, fighting for the democracy, fighting for being able to make some few new decisions, having us even more secured in the Western structures, I think that would possibly be a good thing for Ukraine and, and as something that they could you know, have as a, as a, as a long-term um, path for themselves as well. Um, whatever, if they, as it looks now, they would have to probably adopt new neutrality measures as they have put on the table themselves in the in the negotiations with Russia. But in the longer term, that's another story, I think. Thank you very much, both for those responses. Uh, this has been a very deep discussion, I have to say, and 
And I think we need to get this out to uh, a lot of our listeners who are very interested in this. And But let me ask you one final question, because I know that uh, we're running short on time, and that is, what do you think the Russian reaction will be when that when the announcement is made, which I hope it is, uh, the announcement is made and, uh, and Sweden and Finland uh, put in a joint application for NATO membership. Um, what do you think the Russian reaction will be in the short to medium term? Certainly a lot of rhetoric, I can just hear it now. Um, but I don't, I'm not, just speaking personally, I'm not so sure it would be much more than that. What, what do you all think? Well, I think the Russians will react and you don't know, of course, politically statements and there could be, you know, intrusions or jamming or cyber cyber attacks or things like that. But in the end, I think it will calibrate. I mean, they are aware now that we have these discussions and I think they are, they are also, of course, very aware that we are very close to NATO. They would prefer us to remain close to NATO, but outside of NATO. But um, making those adjustments for them in this area, I think they will have to, uh, I think they will, they, they will calibrate, they will react, but it will calibrate. And I think they will accept it. That's, that, that's how I go, because we are already, it's not a huge shift. It's nuances. It's not, it's not right. like, Yes, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, what what is to come, I, I think, is not existential by by any means. Uh, there might be trouble. There might be disruptions. Uh, uh, there are manageable issues at the end, I think. Uh, but it is a huge political loss for uh, for Russia, and, and and they will be bitter about it for for a number of of years. Uh, but of course, you know, they are now cornered in multiple different uh, ways and, and Ukraine is the kind of the main uh, problem for them and they have their hands full with, with the Ukraine. So I wouldn't expect any, any strong military uh, uh, consequences. But of course, after Ukraine is over, um, you know, the, this challenge that they have against the European order um, is long term. Uh, and and, and uh, uh, until Putin goes out uh, of power uh, or the regime type changes, uh, I would foresee that there's going to be uh, years of trouble ahead. But th- that trouble doesn't mean uh, that Finland and Sweden shouldn't join or shouldn't explore new opportunities when it comes to alliances. Actually, it means exactly that they should. Uh, you know, staying uh, at put uh, doesn't make any sense at this situation. It would be kind of implicitly recognizing, uh, acknowledging the Russian uh, claims of, for spheres of influence. So, so that's impossibility. Uh, so, so there are risks, but those are manageable. Um, and 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 Russia is not as strong as it uh, looked one year ago. You're right. And I, I, I take your point, too. And I, I think it's a uh, for all of us who do think tank work and try to peer into the future, this idea of these tectonic plates shifting, not just between the usually when we talk about tectonic plates, it's the U.S. and Europe shifting. But within Europe, um, um, Anna, you mentioned Belarus, um, you know, that what what that that gives us a whole new calculation. Um, of course, Ukraine. Um, uh, the idea that Putin is now a threat uh, and a very violent threat that's going to be around a while. 
So our whole concept of Europe and European stability and, and the various players and NATO playing is shifting around and we're not sure how it's gonna look at the end. Um, so I've got a one question as concerns the Arctic, but I'm gonna leave that for the end. Let me ask you uh, the second to last question. And that is, what do you think a post-Putin Europe might look like? When, when Putin passes from the scene, what will Europe look like then? It'll be NATO troops on the ramparts all along the, the, uh, the frontier with Russia from Norway all the way down to Turkey, or is it going to be, or is it gonna look differently, uh, do you think? What do you think when we wake up the next morning after hearing that Putin has left the Kremlin one way or another, what will that, what will Europe look like then? Well, I, I think that the Russian challenge is long-term and, and it is part of an overall challenge to the global order. Uh, so the power transformation theories apply here and they usually indicate that the likelihood of uh, not only one war, but a series of wars uh, is, is higher than, than, than usual. So international wars might be uh, something that, that we can expect to happen in different other places as well. Uh, so power transformation challenge is on. And, and uh, Putin is part of that. Uh, he was very forward-leaning in, in Ukraine, uh, perhaps too much so, for example, for Chinese taste. Um, but, but clearly troubles are ahead and, and uh, he should be prepared for the worst case uh, scenarios. So Putin going out of power, I think before that, you know, in the Kremlin circles, I'm sure that there's other candidates that are convinced that they would have executed the operation, the war in, in a more efficient way. So, so uh, the likelihood that, that there would be more appeasing Russian leader in the future uh, is is slower is lower than 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 uh, um, than we think. So let's not underestimate the durability and sustainability of this current movement and dynamic in Russia. You know, you have external enemies in uh, in in Europe and in Ukraine that you uh, try to annihilate, and then you have your internal enemies that that you go after. So there's quite a lot of that in front of us. Yes, I mean, I, I agree that I don't see that, you know, the sun will rise the day after Putin is gone yeah. and we will have a back to back to where we were when, you know, end of history kind of feeling that democracy will rise and so on. I think, you know, we cannot have any such illusions at that point. I think we have solidified ourselves better when it comes to defense, deterrence and resilience. Hopefully that should be the direction for for the West and, and the strategy will still be very much to be cautious uh, and aware here as, as Mika sketches, I think, because this will be a, a, could be a, an even more dangerous situation given that Russia is a big nuclear country, its relations to China, where would this head in such a situation? So, so I, I see that the strategy that the West will have to pursue uh, now, I think that will last for a decade at least, uh, and then we will see uh, if there could come brighter times. But I will have no, there will be no shortcuts here or, you know, a sh sudden shift of anything. Look at Russia, there is no civil society movement uh, that has been thriving for a long time. They have no actual uh, history or, or tradition of democracy either. 
Um, so you have a very difficult situation there. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't expect any sudden shifts. Anna, thank you. That's a, that's a, this discussion you both had uh, is a great note to end on. I did have an Arctic question, but I'll save that for the next time. Uh, and instead, uh, thank you both for appearing on the Brussels Sprouts and talking about something that really illustrates how historic this uh, era is. The idea of Sweden and Finland joining NATO, which I hope happens, uh, is something that uh, I never thought I would see necessarily uh, in my lifetime. And I just, I hope it happens. I think it's for, there's a lot of good good there. And uh, let's keep our fingers crossed in the weeks ahead that we'll see that becomes plan A and plan A is put into effect. Thank you both and look forward to talking to you all again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Brussels Sprouts brought to you by the Transatlantic Security Team at the Center for a New American Security. You can find all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And please remember to rate and review Brussels Sprouts so that new listeners are able to find the show.